Before we start today's episode, I would like to thank today's sponsor, Golden Boy Promotions. Saturday, November the 24th, only on pay-per-view, for the sum of $39.99, Chuck the Iceman Liddell will be facing off for the third time, Tito Ortiz, the Huntington Beach bad boy. Chuck Liddell, who is 21-8-0, will be taking on Tito, who is 19-12-1. The first two fights went Chuck's way, and Tito's looking to turn things around. Now, it's been a little while since Hat's gone out and tried to get us a sponsor after that first uh, misunderstanding we had with Aerosmith, uh, but he has gone out and secured a bag for us here, so I'm happy to promote this show. Hats, I uh, also appreciate that you realize I'm a, such a huge MMA fan that you went out and got the uh, an MMA sponsor, so that's great. Um, so also, I haven't heard this yet, uh, Hats, Hats put together a little audio package. He's a huge, huge Tito fan. Um, so he's put a... He's put a little audio package together, and we're going to listen to that. Now, I understand there's two clips, right? Yes, two. So one of the clips is Tito uh, running some threats by Chuck, and the second piece of audio is a reporter informed Tito that when speaking with Chuck, Chuck insinuated that Tito was jealous of the Iceman. So we're going to hear Tito's response. So tune in Saturday night. Live and only on pay-per-view for $39.99. You can also watch that on Fight.tv, which is a great app I have on my phone. That's where I watch my Ganrai Ujima, which is uh, moat fighting. It's a promotion in Japan where people fight on an elevated stage. And if you get pushed off into the moat three times in a round, you lose. I'm sorry, that's not that's not today's sponsor. Let me, let me get back on track. Golden Boy Promotions, Chuck versus Tito 3. That is happening this Saturday night. There are a few other uh, recognizable names. Uh, filthy Tom Lawler is on the card. Uh, legitimately always a fan of Tom Lawler and always uh, enjoy watching him. So uh, I believe that is the co-main as well. That's what I'm seeing here. So Tom Lawler is fighting Darren Wynn. Uh, Tom Lawler was recently on the shelf after failing a USADA drug test. And when his suspension ended, the UFC released him from his contract, which was kind of a shady thing to do. And if they were going to do that, they should have cut him earlier rather than getting him to sit out the entire USADA suspension. But he is back. He's fighting Darren Wynn. I am not familiar with that gentleman. Uh, so pulling for Tom there in that fight. Anxious to see how he looks after that time off. So let's play those two clips. The first clip. Uh, Tito is letting Chuck know what's up, and the second one is Tito responding to the claim that he is jealous of Chuck. So, Hats, do you want to roll that audio for me? All I see is a shell of a man, an old shell of a man. On November 24th, the millions will be able to watch me stand over your face as I bury you, as the rest of my last opponent did. Liddell, you're going to get it put on a show, but put on your back. Jealous of him? This guy can't even put a fucking sentence together, man. Are you kidding me right now? He's he's reaching for he's reaching for those grapes. He's trying to make his wine, and the wine's already sounding like a violin with that cheese and wine. Um.
Now, before I get into anything, I just want to say hats. I appreciate the sponsor, but you told me you were a Tito Ortiz fan. After listening to that, I don't know. Do you ironically like Tito Ortiz? Like, do you do you not like him but enjoy his his uh, garbage interviews and the way he the way he can turn a phrase? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I haven't heard many people tell me like what a Tito fan they are, but I I kind of get that. I can respect that. Wow, what a wordsmith. So, I am Steve. Before we go any further, I should introduce myself. My name is Steve. My uh, producer, audio engineer, his name is Hats. And this is Podcast of the Universe. And it's been a while since I've put a show out. Uh, My Podcast of the Universe for Masters of the Universe, that has been dormant since the beginning of the month. But I am going to get one of those out soon. So I was kicking this subject around um, for a while. Now, I love a good story. We're going to get into that in a minute. But this this took a turn, and it's a good example of my stubbornness. Now, I didn't want to retell a great story that's been told many times and told very well in various forms of media, whether written or audio. But I wanted to cover the subject in a different way. So I ordered a book on Amazon, Sight Unseen. Am I going to learn from that? No, probably not. I could have bailed, but I dug in. I dug in because I said, here's what I'm going to talk about on this episode. Here's the subject matter. I wasn't going to back away from that. So I pressed forward. Now, I can be confident that what I'm going to cover tonight probably hasn't been discussed before and probably the source has never been discussed before on a podcast. I'm fairly certain of that. And if I'm wrong, don't tell me and let me have this victory. That'll be the the solace I find in this. Now, overall, I've said it before. I'm somewhat of a skeptical person. I'm not closed off completely, uh, but an eyewitness testimony alone isn't going to convince me of something. The truth, the truth won't stop me from enjoying a good story. This past week, I watched Haunted on Netflix. Before watching it, just the description, that's a show for me right away. Now, although I may not believe all of these people were haunted or experienced things, if you present it in such a way and you don't, you don't insult my intelligence too much, I'm in and I can enjoy the story. It was pretty bad, some of the episodes. It was absurd, whether it being too poorly acted. Now, episode two, the serial killer episode, the slaughterhouse episode, that was insulting, and I won't get into it here, but I had major issues with that. Serial killers are real, and I don't see the need to lie about a serial killer which is what I felt had happened. That was my takeaway. Like, it's the same way I love Bigfoot. I love Bigfoot. I have a Bigfoot action figure two feet away from me right now. I love Bigfoot. But I hate that stupid hunting for Bigfoot show where they go out and hoop and holler and beat trees with sticks and then they act like they have some breaking footage when they come back from commercial. Uh, Not only do I hate the people on the show, I don't hate them, I don't know them as people, I don't care for them, 
but I hate the way their method of storytelling and saying after the break, like a tree branches and they're like, and then they cut to commercial and they go back and like, Oh, it's nothing. As soon as you show me, as soon as you show me a show about hunting Bigfoot, for example, I know that you don't find him in that show because this was filmed at least probably six months ago. And as soon as you found him and had proof that would be on the news. I don't know what price you could put on that. It would be so valuable. You wouldn't sit on that for six months. Wouldn't happen. So I guess I'm saying, give me, give me a mystery, a cover-up, give me a conspiracy. You can give me an alternate take or interpretation from something historical. Uh, but just stay on the topic. And you can jump to conclusions, but make them like feasible jumps they can't be too far and what the book that i bought on amazon did was asking a bunch of questions never answering them and hoping that those questions would become answers to its audience now tonight's show is kind of centered around a cryptid alien who has more more names than old dirty bastard uh, speaking of Old Dirty Bastard, one of my favorite members of the Wu-Tang Clan would have been 50 uh, last week. So R.I.P. Old Dirty, Osiris. So who we're talking about today is the Flatwoods Monster, a.k.a. Braxton County Monster, a.k.a. Braxy, a.k.a. Frametown Monster, a.k.a. Phantom of the Flatwoods. Apologies if I missed any AKAs. So when you think of the Flatwoods Monster and I tell you that it's a podcast about the Flatwoods Monster, it's probably not going to be what you expected. I said earlier, I think there have been plenty of people ahead of me who have done a really good job in covering and breaking down the story. So I'm going to take it in a bit of a different direction because I'm a stubborn, stubborn man. So the idea of me doing this came down to a book. Now, I never would have retold the Flatwoods Monster story because I just think it's it's well-tread enough. So, I see this book on Amazon and what I do in Amazon is I have things that I buy and then I have things that maybe I will buy but I put them in my wish list and every once in a while I'll go into the wish list and look for price drops. So this book was regular, like $30. And it, it caught my eye one day because it went down to $6. So the full title of the book, and I posted a picture of this before, was Alien Flatwoods Monster, an eyewitness account when the singularity of intelligent machines meets the evolution of extrasolar biology. That's the title. That impressive title, impressive at the time, for a paltry $6. How could I not pay $6 for that? And as I've, always, as I've already mentioned, I love a cryptid or alien story as much as the next guy. I've always enjoyed the Flatwood Monster, even though it isn't the most believable one that I'll ever hear. I can even believe the sincerity of the witnesses, but not necessarily that their memory or interpretations of events are accurate. 
With that out of the way, uh, I'll give you a very brief account of the incident. Uh, This story takes place in 1952. 1952 was a wild year. Uh, It's still one of the most active times in modern history for UFOs. Uh, Not only were the reports in Washington, D.C. during that time, uh, but all over the world. In the first six months of 1952, there were 300 unexplained UFO sightings, four times the number during that same period of 1951. By the end of July, there were about 400 reports, more than there had been in any other year in history. So also this is around the time of, as uh, someone pointed out to me, uh, the day the Earth stood still came out the year before, and uh, there was a bit of a UFO craze going on. But they, so with that out of the way, 66 years ago, on the evening of September 12th, 1952, a bright object flashed across the West Virginia sky. Brothers Edward and Fred, along with their friend Tommy Hires, watched as the object landed on the property of G. Bailey Fisher. Before they went to investigate, they went to the home of Kathleen May and filled her in on what they had seen. So she, along with local children Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver and a 17-year-old National Guardsman, Eugene Lemon, they joined the boys to go find out what had fallen from the sky onto the nearby farm. When they reached the hill where they believed the object went down, they saw a red, pulsating light. Eugene Lemon aimed his flashlight and saw a tall humanoid creature with a round face surrounded by a pointed hood shape. Kathleen May said the creature had small claws and the head the shape of a spade like you would find in a deck of cards. The creature had made a hissing noise and glided towards them, causing Lemon to drop his flashlight, and the group ran away. The group also had reported a pungent smell and became nauseous, uh, some, for some, uh, the sickness had lasted a couple days. Local authorities investigated the reports of the alleged crash and did not find anything. The following day, A. Lee Stewart of the Braxton Democrat investigated the scene, found skid marks along the ground with an odd gummy substance. The main theory from skeptics is there was a documented meteor that night visible in Maryland, Pennsylvania, in West Virginia. The lights were dismissed as a uh, plane beacon that, that was in the area, and the screeching and gliding monster was likely a barn owl perched in a tree, uh, and barn owls are native to that area. So, And we know owls can glide, and if you're unaware of the noise that a barn owl can make, let's listen to that right now. Uh, Hats has the soundbite prepared. So that's a that's a pretty rough noise. That would freak me out if I was in the woods and heard that. So for me, it seems like a logical and straightforward explanation. Uh, certainly doesn't mean case closed. And if it does turn out that, I mean, we'll never know, but if it was a barn owl that they saw and heard, it wouldn't take any of the enjoyment away uh, for me uh, that I have in the story. But that's not why we're here. We're here to see how Paul Sagan, the author of uh, this book, we're going to see how he ties into the event. Now, he's someone who isn't connected to the Flatwood story in any other source than I can find. I don't want to call this man a liar, but I don't, I'm unaware of any other um, source listing him 
putting him in that place. And when you hear the story, it would be hard to uh, verify the information. So let's find out how Paul Sagan fits into this story. The author states that he and his family were passing through Flatwoods that same September night in 1952 on their way home to Massachusetts from Denver. So while in the area, the author's father had to pull over and top up the brake fluid. Sagan remembers that he and his family smelled an evil and unpleasant odor. He says that all these years later, he cannot remember or describe the odor. He does remember that his parents also noticed the smell and audibly questioned if a flying saucer could be in the area. How weird is that? Have you ever smelled something in the air and went, man, what does that smell? Wait, I wonder if there's a UFO nearby. No. So I'm not going to try to get hung up on little things. So they left without further incident and drove through the night. And the next morning, they heard about the creature on the car radio. It also made national news. And when he was back in his hometown and in school, Paul, Paul Sagan heard his classmates discussing it. And he said, hey, I was there. And these intelligent little children said, "Nah, we don't believe you. He said he did not speak of it, speak of it again for many years. So in the book, Sagan details about an interview he had with Kathy May in April of 1974. But he said he only transcribed the tapes in 2002. Kathy said that the artist did not... And when I say Kathy, this is just based on his alleged interviews with Kathy May. So Sagan asserts that in his interview, Kathy said the artist did not draw the creature as was described. Kathy painted a picture of something more machine-like that reacted when Jean had turned the flashlight and pointed it at it. She said it that it lit up from the inside, and it did not glide, but it was hovering. When it moved, it bobbed along, but still staying floating, at least a foot off the ground. She said that Arnie Stewart of the Braxton Democrat had written the National Guard for answers on the incident, and received a letter back from the government. doesn't say which branch of the government, just the government. And so the government in the alleged letter said that the ship that they had seen was one of four test ships they intended to go to the moon. The government letter went on to say that the ship had oil trouble and had contained two men. Kathy May said that Jimmy Hurst of the Charleston Gazette was now in possession of the letter. Kathy remarked at the end of the interview, she now questioned if the government even knew what it was and that it was likely that they simply wanted to keep her quiet. Speaking of the government, Sagan mentions theories by Frank Fraschino, uh, who has written on the Flatwoods Monster, and My Province's own Stanton Friedman. Uh, they asserted that President Harry Truman ordered jets to intercept and shoot down UFOs. Sagan reminds the reader how primitive aircraft were at that time and how they would be no match for a craft that had traveled from who knows where in the universe all the way to Earth. And I tend to agree with that theory. So 
The Alien Flatwood Monster book is over 300 pages. To my surprise, when I ordered it, it doesn't really dwell on the actual incident, and Sagan explores alien theories for the majority of the book. Sagan discusses potential evolution of potential aliens, and actually most of this book is just wondering out loud of many different things. But he proposes that we would have little in common with them since they would not share culture, language, gender, or religion. He suggests that they likely shed their meat suits eons ago in favor of metallic bodies becoming intelligent machines. Uh, he echoes the ideas of Ray Kurzweil, uh, but he goes a little bit further and says that our great-grandchildren will become extraterrestrial machine intelligences with the ability to alter or cloak their own appearances. So, he then... So then the book just kind of meanders through the evolution of mankind and things like the first people of America. And we're not, we're not discussing the incident in the Flatwoods at all. Uh, we're just rehashing human evolution. So I'll, I'll spare you the details on those items. And once we finish over the past and possible future evolution of mankind, he then speculates the evolution of extrasolar beings. Sagan wonders if things like swarm behavior or self-extinguishing self altruism would be factors. Now, at this point, I'm really struggling to keep interest in the book, and I find myself wondering why he even mentions the Flatwood Monster. Um, I think it's a, it's a way for him to put his foot in the door to talk about things he's really interested in or has theories on. Like, hey, you like the Flatwoods Monster? Uh, how do you think... Aliens would evolve uh, compared to humans. And he raises some very bizarre questions later on. So, one of his theories, or I shouldn't say theories, one of his questions are, do alien machines possess theory of mind? So it's not completely a unique or new idea or theory. Uh, some people speculate that if we are being visited, that the occupy the occupants... Um, are a form of robot or biomechanical creation. There are theories that the greys that you often see in popular media are not actual creatures, but rather uh, robots or partial robots, that they're some type of cyborg, and that you know they're being controlled by someone else, like maybe the Nordics. So that would be an interesting idea to me if they fleshed it out further. But then he immediately jumps to questioning if weak ethics weaken theory of the mind. And then, does marijuana alter alien genes? So that last question, does marijuana alter alien genes? He doesn't even attempt to answer it or discuss it. But what he does do, he gives examples of male marijuana users impregnating women who go on to birth children riddled with behavior disorders who carry concealed knives like daggers, dirks, and a bolo or short machete. Our author then says he went undercover to substitute teach to collect antidotes of true events for his next shocking book, which I can't find any details online, and what is really happening in schools. 
When I say concealed knives, daggers, dirks, and a bolo or a short machete, those are words that Paul Sagan wrote in his book. And I'm repeating myself, he says he went undercover as a substitute teacher to collect antidotes for true events in his next shocking book about what is really happening in urban schools. So while you're processing that, this book is called The Flatwoods Monster. He says that these odd students are weirder than weird and dares me, the reader, to teach urban gangbangers for, third year, for three years. I don't want to keep repeating myself, but the person who wrote a book about the alien Flatwoods Monster says that the odd students are weirder than weird and dares the reader to teach urban gangbangers for three years. These are words that I just read and told you in a book about the Flatwoods Monster. At the beginning of the show, I said I didn't want to retell it, and now this is kind of maybe a spiteful book review or book report. But I can be confident that this probably hasn't been discussed on another podcast. So I have that. And I'm trying not to get too hung up on things, so let's keep the show moving. And I don't know why I keep repeating myself to make sure you know how crazy it is. But he's daring people to go teach gangbangers for three years. And that's not even... He's going to say crazier things, so strap in. Now, I don't want to get hung up that I looked online. I looked for other books. I can see that he wrote another book about ball lightning. But I can't find anything about the public school expose he was going to do. Unless they got to him. I don't know. I can't find any other trace of this man. But he alleges that the superintendent and the principal of the school where he was an undercover author posing as a substitute teacher, he alleges that the superintendent and the principal were complicit in weed smoking in the bathroom because it kept the peace otherwise the gangbangers would tear the place apart. At this time, I remember this section was Sagan asking if weed would alter alien genes. But we're already on to the next question. Do aliens sleep? Before I turned the page, I couldn't say that the question would be explored, let alone answered. But this book is similar to certain movies. The movies where you see a poster and it looks just like batshit crazy and you have to watch it. And then you watch it and the movie doesn't reach the potential of the poster or the trailer. Like those crazy wild grindhouse movies you'd see in the 70s. And you're like, well, that's, that's a pretty crazy looking movie. I need to watch that. And you watch it and it's just bad. That's what this book is like. Anyway, back to the question, do aliens sleep? He says, well, people and animals sleep. So aliens might need to too. But the alien intelligent machine robots... They probably don't need to sleep. So I guess he did answer a question. Kind of. So I read a little bit further, and Sagan is workshopping names of people who would go to Mars. What would we call them? Mars Knots? Mars Nuts? So at this point, I decided for my sanity that I needed to pick up the pace, and I'm going to hit you hit you guys with some highlights. Robots do not pee is a section in the book. 
I don't know if this is true or not, but I'll pretend that it is. Uh, I'm not. I think this was from 2004 that he wrote this. Uh, but a glass of water on the International Space Station cost three thousand dollars. That might be true. I'm gonna pretend it is. So that's something I got out of the section called "Robots Do Not Pee." I'm glad someone wrote that down in a book and covered that. Robots do not pee. Uh, one of the other topics that I that I thought I'd pass along: crazies run UFO organizations. Here we have another question. Do dark angels fly saucers? Does he mean demons? Does he mean that they're supernatural? We don't know. We'll never know. I like this one. Are flying saucer crews racist? Uh, This next one I'm on board for. I'll co-sign his next one. Ancient astronauts commit fraud. Now, reading the section of the book, he is saying that people who subscribe to the ancient alien theory commit fraud. And Eric Von Daniken literally committed fraud. So, at the very least, that is true. And on a grander scale, the ancient alien show and theory and book uh, is very problematic. So, on pretty much any level, I'm okay with uh, saying that they are frauds. Now, I wasn't going to spend all this time talking and not actually read to you from the book. So, I'd like to read to you a little excerpt from a section titled, and I keep saying sections. I don't want to. I don't want to call them chapters. So that's why I say I keep saying sections. Because they're not real chapters. So I'm going to go to the book and read you an excerpt on this statement, Islam killed ufology. What killed ufology? Certainly, there were many killers. The killers bore names like Inui, Boredom, Surfeit, with the tedium of the novel now grown so old that there were no new hints left to entertain, to beguile, to mystify. Ufology's alienology, seen so often with nothing new, to beguile, to mystify, augured the end of the road that ran down to nothing new. The mystery remained a mystery, with no new promise. With the Pearl Harbor of September 11th kicking off a holy global jihad against all infidels, the post-hippies from hell and their forgotten purple haze LSD slipped unnoticed beneath the backwater memories of the passing 20th century, unacknowledged and forgotten. The new age grown old sunk psychic claims and torpedoed all extraterrestrial aliens. There were new aliens to worry about, and they were very real. So, I mean, that's pretty obvious. That's pretty obvious how... UFOlogy was killed off. I think we can all agree, right? That makes total sense. Uh, Next section, God Loves Evolution. Modern pagans worship global warming. Here's a good one. Atheists go to heaven. And here are some more questions. They're kind of similar, but he insists that they're different. 
our militant atheist superior. The author, actually, I'm just going to, here, I'm going to do another reading from the book. So this is our militant atheist's superior. If you think I loathe you, you despicable militant atheist toads, then you are right. You intolerant militant atheists are lower than the egg droppings of an insect. While we are on the subject, you pointy-headed militant atheists, a question. Since you militant atheists are so good at telling others what to teach, have you ever successfully taught math, preferably, for long in the urban, in quotations, chalkboard jungles? You oh-so-tough, pointy-headed, intellectual, militant, atheist nerds. Well then, try it. Come on. I dare you. You low-life, intellectual, atheist, insect droppings. Most of you radical, liberal intellectuals would not survive two semesters. Disruptive kids would hand you your heads and then shove you down the stairs, you gutless wimps. They would tie you up and dangle you out a window, as they did to one liberal teacher south of Boston. At another local high school, they rode a pointy-headed Harvard professor to the edge of insanity, but she returned to teach at Harvard to teach about her wonderful experience teaching in an inner-city Connecticut school. She is a liar. Be honest, the issue is not evolution. It is your atheism. You wish to impose atheism on everyone else. Just try it with Islam. You tough guy militant atheist. You cowardly creeps. You would not dare. Unlike wimpy Christians, Islam fights back. So here we have the author uh, challenging the reader and also militant atheists uh, to go teach at inner schools, inner city schools. So also, I know this, it, it doesn't bear repeating, but the title of this book is Alien Flatwoods Monster, an Eyewitness Account. Next topic, Islam beheads militant atheists. Next topic, do militant atheists hate Islam? Next topic, militant atheists fear Islam. Next topic, is religion big business? This motherfucker. Imagine, imagine writing this down. Is religion big business? Imagine, imagine asking that question with a straight face. Next topic. Do aliens respect humans? And we're almost done with these. And this one, I just, I don't know how to, I almost feel like there should be a drum roll for this topic. All right, here we go. Pro-life abortion. And the last topic, abortion of dogs and cats. So let's, let's do this. I'm going to read the last reading from the book, I promise. Abortion of dogs and cats. I'm going to quickly read that, and then we can uh, wrap this up. Paul Sagan writes, As a moderate quasi-liberal, I favor a woman's right to choose, but hope they never use that right. Why does that anger you? I love both dogs and cats. Do you also favor abortions of dogs and cats? Why does that suggestion make you uncomfortable? If unborn dogs and cats have rights, do unborn humans? This man wrote a book. 
This man wrote a book called Alien Flatwoods Monster, an eyewitness account. I just want to keep reminding anyone listening still, anyone that's hung in this long, that is the title of the book. Do I think Paul Sagan was nearby the incident in September 1952? No, not really. At times, this book sounds like the ideas of someone unhinged. Uh, the Flatwoods Monster should be a good time. It should just be fun. Interesting, it should... It should uh, ignite your imagination. This book used the cheap tactic, which I mentioned earlier, of asking too many questions and answering none of them. Do I regret paying $6 for this book? I don't. But also, I don't want to think that I encouraged this man to ask questions he doesn't answer that aren't even related to the topic of the book. After reading the book... I don't even have a reason to believe that he actually interviewed Kathleen May. Sagan seems like someone who has many incomplete and disjointed ideas and simply used the Flatwoods monster as a Trojan horse for his theories. What have I done with your time and mine even in covering the book? Well, in this case, I'm going to take a page out of Paul Sagan's book. And not answer that question. What I will say is, I wanted something related to the Flatwoods Monster for my desk, my work area. So I looked online for things like statues, little toys, figures, whatever. And I can't find anything that's reasonable. So when you look up for Flatwoods Monster items online, two things happen. They're either sold out, or they're $80 for a little vinyl toy. Which I won't, I won't pay for. So I, uh, I'll keep an eye out. But I think a great business idea, and I put this on the Instagram uh, a while ago. By the way, the Instagram account I started an Instagram account for the show, and it's the same as the Twitter handle. This is Potu. So find me on Instagram. Find me on Twitter at this is Potu, and uh, uh, share the show. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, retweet it. And if you have any suggestions on new podcasts uh, for me to listen to, uh, please shoot them over. I have uh, I have an empty slot. I, I try to maintain a certain number of podcasts and not get over it so I don't get overwhelmed. But I do have a slot that's opened up now. Uh, so send send me your your recommendations. Um, I am currently moving next door. I mean, I still live in the same house, but I'm moving, I'm moving operations from the craft room, uh, to the bedroom next door, which is where I'm setting up my home office. And I just put my shelves up yesterday and I have my new, my new comfortable chair, uh, that's Bluetooth and, uh, plays music from my phone. It's very comfortable. Most importantly, it's comfortable. Uh, and it's way better than the stool I was using. And that stool was rickety. It was always squeaking and making noises. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm going to have one more show before the Christmas episode, at least one more show. And I'm not sure what the topic is going to be. I've had cannibalism, murders. So, you know, 
um, satanic forces. So I, maybe something a little fun or different. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I have a bunch of ideas, but I want to keep it mixed up. And if this show is anything, it's mixed up. Uh, I did get a book um, uh, on the Men in Black. I believe it's called The Real Men in Black by Nick Redfern. Uh, I uh, reached out on Twitter to Our Strange Skies podcast, which is a a really fun uh, podcast. So uh, Rob has a great show over there, so I recommend checking that out. But I didn't have any Men in Black books, and that's a topic that I want to do later on the show. And I was looking for good source material. And uh, I know that Rob has a ridiculous amount of uh, books uh, that he's posted. So I thought he would be a good person to, to check in with to get a recommendation. Uh, Christmas is coming up. Uh, I do have uh, uh, a Christmas episode coming up for the Masters of the Universe podcast. And I will be watching the He-Man Christmas special. And I'm going to see if I can get my wife to join me for that episode. I'm hoping to be uh, set up. I have my new mic here now, the the uh, Yeti, and that should be good for a two-person. The last time she was on the show, we were on our honeymoon, and we just recorded in the hotel room on my phone. So the audio wasn't that great. Um, so anyway, Christmas is coming up. I've been getting some shopping done online. And I'm having a really hard time not buying things for myself. Uh, so I bought a, a few books. Uh, I have a psychopath and serial killer book, a conspiracy book, an unsolved mysteries book, a historical unsolved mysteries book. Um, I have the um, the occult anatomy of man, which is a reprint uh, from a book that came out in 1934 without looking. So I have a, my library is growing as far as, uh, items for the show. Uh, and I bought myself, a something a little special. I bought myself the unsolved mysteries, um, album on vinyl. So it has the theme song and the music they would use for the, uh, for the ghost and unexplained segments. So I'm very excited about that. I was over the moon when I received that. I do have a album coming uh, with cult recordings, like Unchenrikyo, uh, the Death Cult in Japan. Uh, there's some stuff from uh, um, Jim Jones on there. Um, all kinds of all kinds of kooks on one record. So I'm excited excited to get that. That's coming in on eBay. So I'm excited uh, for future shows. And now that I have this book in my rear view. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm a little less angry and uh, aggressive about the whole thing. I, I got it out of my system. Uh, so I don't recommend buying the book. If you see it for $6, buy it, whatever. Um, but the best description I think I can have is seeing a really good tro- uh, poster or a crazy trailer for a movie and you watch it and it's just just no good. So I am going to end it there before I ramble. I'm going to start moving some stuff over into the new space. And I'm excited to get a more comfortable setup. I'll be 
better equipped uh, in the other room for guests on the podcast. And I'm floating the idea of having uh, mini episodes as well. When something fun comes across my desk or there's a shorter topic, you know, I don't need to spend 40 minutes or more on each, on each subject. Maybe there's a fun 15 minute story somewhere. We'll do that one. So it, get at me at this is Potu on Instagram or Twitter. Send me a message for anything you would like covered on the show. And that's really it. Hats, do you have anything to... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, thanks to our sponsor. I almost forgot. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Boy Promotions. They have Chuck Tito 3 happening this Saturday night, November 24th. It is $40 uh, on pay-per-view. There are tickets still available uh, at the forum. Tickets range from $36 to $502. Everyone, have a great week. I will be back hopefully sooner than later. I feel good. And until next time, be the change that you want to see in the world.